Thank you, uh, David Gellner, for hosting me. And uh, uh, Susanna Carvalho, thank you. We searched the entire planet to find the best person to uh, lead the paleontology project, and we found Susanna. And after we hired her, then Oxford hired you. So I'm thinking we're a good talent scout for Oxford. And, uh, and there's a third person in the room who will not want to be introduced, which will give me great pleasure in embarrassing her. And it's Dominique who's sitting right here. And uh, Dominique is Mozambican and was born and raised uh, near Gorongosa Park and is getting a graduate degree here in the UK. And she doesn't know this, but when we move to the Q&A section... Susanna and Dominique are both going to join me, so you now have a few minutes to mentally prepare, Dominique. Um, I would like to spend uh, maybe half the time with the presentation and then leave at least half the time uh, for questions, because I think that's always the most fun. And you're looking at a photo of uh, Lake Urema which is in the center of the Gorongosa National Park ecosystem in central Mozambique. And you'll see a few more videos as we go, and you'll get a real sense for the grandeur of this ecosystem. And yes, I've been there for about a decade working on a restoration, but the story of the restoration starts uh, long before me. And it starts with these two individuals. And I think everybody here recognizes... Nelson Mandela, and on his right is the former president of Mozambique, President Chisano. And this photo was taken in 1992, and they spent a lot of time together. Um, everyone in this room probably knows that Nelson Mandela got out of prison in 1990 after 27 years on Robben Island in a small cell. And uh, you may know he became president of South Africa in 1994. And what was he doing during those four years? Well, I can tell you that he spent a lot of time outdoors after being in prison for 27 years. He spent a lot of time in national parks and national reserves and protected areas in South Africa, and he loved it. And he spent time with his friend, President Chisano. And they did a lot of talking about what is a national park going forward. When they were boys, neither of them would have been allowed in the national parks of their respective countries, in apartheid South Africa or in colonial Mozambique, which was a colony of Portugal. The national parks were reserved for uh, basically people who look like me. So as the presidents of their respective countries, they, they could have said, let's get rid of these national parks. There are colonial vestiges. But they made a different choice. <coughs> and they said, no, no. Uh, this is Africa's heritage. This is our wildlife. This is our biodiversity. Let's change the national parks into enterprises that, that welcome Mozambicans that welcome all South Africans that belong to the people and deliver benefits to the people. In 1992, in a television interview, Nelson Mandela said those words. So he was way ahead of the rest of the world in thinking about integrating the protection of nature 
with sustainable development. In 2004, uh, Nelson Mandela was the keynote speaker at something called the World Parks Congress. I'm sure some of you probably know that every so often there's all the national parks in the world get together and have a, a congress and talk about being national parks. He was the keynote speaker at this and he said, we want to ensure that protected areas and our custodians are recognized, that people's rights are respected and that benefits are fairly distributed. But he didn't say, let's get rid of national parks. So 2004 was an important time for me as well in this story. I was at that time um, at Harvard University involved in something called the Carr Center for Human Rights. And um, President Chisano came and spoke at the Carr Center. And we became friends and we were talking and he invited me to his country and said, you want to come and help bring a rights-based approach to our national parks. And uh, he left um, five people from his staff at Harvard uh, for a semester. And uh, we worked on this plan. Um, and then I went to, to see Gorongosa Park. And the basic idea was, can a national park be a engine of economic development? Can a national park help the humans who live next door? Because national parks are usually in very remote areas and the poorest people live in remote areas. So you have great poverty surrounding these, these jewels. So that was the basic idea. And whereas we're in a university and people like uh, debating or competing ideas, I'll mention that there's two big competing ideas right now in the conservation world about should we or should we not protect biodiversity. And one of them is represented here. And a lot of people call them ecosystem services. Economists try to measure how much nature delivers to humans. And if we can measure that, then people will want national parks. So there's a big part of the conservation movement now that feels that they've got to demonstrate the economic value of a national park, how many jobs did it create, what about uh, cleaning the water, cleaning the air, and, and so forth. There's another school of thought represented by this man, Professor Wilson, that says, well, what about the other 10 million species on Earth that aren't Homo sapiens, that took 4 billion years to evolve? And shouldn't we just care about them? And that's what you might call the biophilia school of thought. And Ed Wilson wrote a book called Biophilia. Probably half of you have read it. And it's Biophilia, the love of life. And I, it's the first book of his that I read. So during this period of time from 2004 to 2007, when we were trying to make an economic plan for Gorongosa Park, I was also reading all of his books, and I read this one. He wrote in 1992, The Great Four Billion Year History of the Evolution of Life on Earth. And I also read this book by Professor Wilson, uh, in which he warns us that human activities are destroying the rest of life on Earth. And uh, we may lose 30 to 50% of the species on this planet this century if we 
continue destroying all their habitats. Um, I'm sure all of you know Professor Wilson um, is at Harvard, and uh, he's got, got kind of a hidden office on the fourth floor of the Museum of Comparative Zoology, and I wanted to meet him. And it turns out that it was not so easy to do. So um, a couple of times, um, I actually bumped into him at a restaurant in Cambridge, the other Cambridge, the one in Massachusetts. And um, I actually went up to him at one point and said, Professor Wilson, I'm going to go to Mozambique and restore a national park. And he looked up at me and he said, that makes my heart go pitter-patter. <laughs> so, that's as close as I got to him for quite a number of years. But um, So that's the ecosystem services um, slide, but I think everyone in this room knows that, so I can skip through it quickly. That's me in 2008 shaking hands with the next president of Mozambique uh, that followed President Chisano, signing a 20-year contract to restore... Uh, and manage, co-manage this national park, Gorongosa. And the agreement is, for me, the agreement's critical because it mentions the managing the ecosystem, but also mentions promoting sustainable development. So this map shows you about a million hectares. The lighter green on the inside is the actual boundaries of the national park. It's 400,000 hectares. The area around it is 600,000 hectares, we call the Sustainable Development Zone, where a couple hundred thousand people live. So the idea is, can we restore and protect this park? I guess I can use this pointer. Um, and can we show that this park is helping these people who really were the poorest people uh, in the entire world? After several centuries of colonialism, Mozambique had 30 years of war in the 60s to the 90s. Uh, first a war of liberation against Portugal and then a terrible civil war. And uh, when I first looked at the statistics of Mozambique, it was dead last. The UN Human Development Index, it was number 200 out of 200, the poorest nation on earth. And the people living around Gorongosa Park, um, I think at the time, more than 90% of the adults had not been to a single day of school in their life. And the lifespan was in the 30s. So that's the big picture. Now I'll kind of run through chronologically the story of this park and the story of what we've been doing. There's Mozambique. There's Gorongosa in the center of the country. And it was made a national park in 1960. In the 60s was kind of its golden age of tourism. It actually was the economic engine of, of central Mozambique in the 60s. I think the next slide is a, if I remember correctly, is a tourism video from that time. Gorongosa was a famous park in the 1960s. Tourists and movie stars would come to see the libraries. Okay, so then came the war, and the war took place in the park. The uh, opposition army hid in the park, and, um, and well, this tells you a little bit about it. In 1977, Mozambique started a civil war. Almost a million people died. During the war, people were fighting in Gorongosa. Some of the soldiers 
they were living on the other side of the park. It was the biggest headquarters. And was uh, returning all of them, selling tasks to buy guns, taking the meat to feed themselves, because there was no food. So, um, at the end of the war, about 95% of the large animals were gone, 99%, 100% of some species. Uh, they ate the animals, they traded the ivory uh, for weapons. And when I showed up in 2004, people said, don't even bother, Greg, the park's gone. There's nothing there. There's mosquitoes, there's landmines, there's nothing else there. But the poaching of the war wasn't Gorongosa's only problems. A lot of its problems lay ahead of it. Gold mining, logging, farming, commercial logging right in the middle of the park, farms moving into the park. So what did we do? Well, first we started creating employment, hiring local people to be rangers. And those rangers went out and started collecting all the snares. The park was covered in traps and wire snares. And I'm very enthused to tell you that we hired the first ever women rangers uh, in the history of Gorgos Park. And that's a big part of distributing the benefits of the park is to see that uh, employment goes to local women. We hired foresters up on Mount Gorongosa to uh, collect local seeds and start to regrow forest on the really critical areas where the, there's a lot of erosion. Uh, and we had to go get some animals. So we uh, went to South Africa and uh, got animals, brought them back. Um, when I first arrived, there was probably five lions in the park. And now I can tell you there's more than 100. And uh, we always team uh, an international scientist with, um, with a Mozambican scientist. And um, that's Joyce Poole, famous elephant scientist who has worked with Dominique. And sure enough, we started um, creating employment and tourism. We build a restaurant. And uh, this is graduation day from our first tourism class. So these uh, mostly young women are hired from uh, a local village. The first time in their entire life they've had a job, at least a job in the formal sector with a salary, and they got uniforms. And uh, that's me up there. I did not graduate, but I'm there. And uh, uh, it was a very touching day. They had a, uh, to give you just a sense of how much it meant to them to get an education and a job. They had uh, valedictory speeches at the end of this three weeks, and they all they got up and talked, and um, I was in the back of the room crying my eyes out. But um, here's the challenge. The pink or purple that you see in 1991 is where there were farms. And now here, 2015, the purple is where there are farms. And uh, you can see the outlines of the national park. Now, that's not necessarily increase in population. It's increase in farms. Because in 91, they were coming out of the war, and people were mostly just barely getting by. Now they're <coughs> making farms. And you can see that um, this park won't last much longer. And um, those who care about biodiversity will see, will see this park disappear. Um, and uh, so we recognize the fact that the most important work that we're going to do is outside the park, 
in the communities, helping them. We spend a lot more time and money outside the park uh, than in the park. Um, this, uh, these are healthcare workers. We hire local people and we train them um, to be community health workers and they work in the local communities. We're, we're, we are the health system around the park. And last year we treated over 100,000 people. Um, a lot of it malaria. And um, uh, there we are with a, a mobile health clinic and you can kind of see they're, they're weighing a baby there on a tree. Um, giving birth is probably the most dangerous thing that any person will do and there's a lot of uh, people die in childbirth in these remote areas. And I'm happy to say that last year we had zero maternal deaths at childbirth because um, we, we have traditional birth assistants that help all the women. Uh, this year we'll do 240 uh, mobile health clinics. So we go out into remote areas, it's like clinic in the back of a van, we show up and spend the day. So we basically do one every day uh, except weekends. Um, and we do build some, some clinics um, in more populated areas. Um, these um, women are um, uh, part of a group that, um, uh, mother's groups that, that get together and share ideas and, about nutrition and so forth. There's a lot of malnutrition in the area. They learn how to make, um, make food with local avail locally available ingredients that are just more nutritious. And uh, they're making some porridge there. Um, this group is a group of women, uh, one, one, one guy. Um, but um, they're called model moms. And it's, it's, it's uh, women's groups that get together and help each other, take care of their babies. And we offer family planning so that they can make a choice about how many uh, children they'll have. Um, and every kind of family planning is available to them if, if, if they're interested. Um, oh, and we helped start small businesses, 150 small businesses around the park, local entrepreneurs, and a lot of them are doing really well. Uh, they just need, yeah, everybody here knows what the, the poverty trap is, right? You just, you just need a little bit of capital to get going and then off you go. Um, what was interesting about this, by the way, is when we got them started with their small businesses, uh, we gave them their first set of inventory. And then it's like, okay, make money selling that, and then you're on your own. So most of these businesses are still going and going well, but they've ch completely changed inventory. They've gone out and figured out what they want to buy and what their neighbors want, you know. And so it's, it's got a life of its own now. It's really exciting. Uh, schools, we build schools, and um, this is a school we just built, and all those, almost all those kids are girls because we operate uh, girls clubs uh, after school. Um, unfortunately, Mozambican rural schools uh, are not so great, and people don't learn much, and you can finish seventh grade and not know how to read. So we, um, we run these after school clubs and uh, help with reading and help get the girls on to high school. Um, there's a group of kids from one of the after-school clubs coming into the park. So uh, every, uh, every single day we have the local people coming into the park. They're the number one visitors to this national park, are the locals, because it's their park. And they love it. Well, when you check the case to the safari, 
we'll be showing them animals they never seen before. This is their first time. They might live next to the National Park and they've never seen an elephant in their life. Um, agriculture. We get really involved with the locals um, and their agriculture. Um, one of the challenges that uh, poor people have around the world is that they don't own their land. And so we help them uh, get title to their land. And then if we can help them, they're, 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 they work hard and they know how to grow things, but they might have bad seeds and no tools. So if we can help them get twice or three times the yield on the land they have, then they don't have to expand their park, expand their farm into the park. So um, we uh, have 4,000 farmers right now in our, uh, in our agricultural program. Um, um, we teach uh, conservation agriculture, mulching and things like that to preserve the soil. And uh, that's a coffee tree. So we, we focus uh, a lot on um, agroforestry, on uh, trees that um, uh, bear food, such as cashews, uh, which is wonderful because it's income for people, but it also is restoring trees to this ecosystem for the hydrological cycle. Um, tree nurseries. Um, that's a lot of what you see in areas that have been deforested that we want to bring back into forest. Uh, honey. We have Gorongosa brand honey. So um, it's a wonderful way for locals to make a little extra money. Um, it's not a lot of work, and uh, you harvest once a year, and you can get some, some serious, uh, serious um, household income. And it's delicious honey. So to sum up just where we are now, uh, inside the park, creating jobs, rangers, tourism, outside the park, agriculture, forestry, health, education, the girls' clubs I mentioned, and uh, I left out a big thing we do, which is science. So you're wondering, did I ever meet Ed Wilson? <laughs> I did. He decided, he heard about what we were, I never met him in Cambridge, he heard about what we were doing and he decided to come to Gorongosa and he shows up one day. This week the big visitor is biologist Ian Wilson. <laughs> you're in the Great Rift for the first time in your life and you're looking at hippos. Well, I sure see that. That's wonderful. You have an amazing parade here. I'd seen pictures of the Rift, but I never I could have envisioned it like this. You know what it looks like to me? Paradise. Yes. So, Ed Wilson shows up. And uh, he spent a lot of time with um, young Mozambicans, inspiring them to do science. The first time Ed came, he came with uh, a couple of assistants from the Harvard Museum of uh, Comparative Zoology. And, of course, we all know what they went out to do, which is collect ants, right? And in three weeks they found 200 ant species. In all of history before that, in all of Mozambique, there'd only been 50 records of ant species. So they found 220 of those ant species were new to science. And um, 
Uh, that's just the beginning of the undiscovered biodiversity in Gorongosa Park. Uh, oh, oh, okay, I'm going to back up and set this up a little bit. So Ed likes to do this thing called a bio-blitz, right, where he gets local, it's a citizen science, getting local people enthused, and you bring them all out for a day and uh, look for things. So he went up to the top of Mount Gorongosa, got all the local kids involved, and had a bio-blitz. All right, let's begin. A bio-blitz is a combined social event celebration search for every kind of species within a certain radius. Very good. All right. And what we have here is a wolf spider. Yeah, isn't that magnificent? This is a Lycaenid butterfly, Parachikina. It's pneumonides. Oh, that's a good one. That's a staphylidid, a heteroclidity, giant crab spider. That's tetragnosa. Oh, that's beautiful. That's an ichneumonid parasitic wasp. And look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And look at this. Oh, yeah. Wow. So uh, Ed came several times, and he wrote a book about Gorongosa called Window on Eternity. And um, Ed Wilson, who's uh, 96 now, and some say is uh, some say is the most important biologist on the planet since Charles Darwin, says that Gorongosa Park has the most biodiversity of any national park in the world. And we are just beginning to find out what's there. Just last week, we found a, another bat species that no one has seen in 100 years and thought was gone. And the, why did he call it Window on Eternity? Well, we're going to get to that and Susanna here in a moment. Gorongosa lies in the Great Rift where Homo sapiens evolved. But the interesting thing about Gorongosa, as opposed to other places where we find early hominid fossils, is that Gorongosa probably still looks the same today or similar as it did a couple hundred thousand years ago. Meaning when we go to Gorongosa, we're looking back in time at our cradle as it was. And so that's why he called it a window on eternity. And the things that you hear and see and smell and feel in Gorongosa and maybe deep in our DNA because that's where we came from. So, we named our laboratory the E.O. Wilson Biological Laboratory. And uh, we've had more than 30 universities involved so far from around the world doing every kind of research you can imagine. And um, Young Mozambicans leading the way, that's Ricardo. Uh, these two young women are the first women in the history of Mozambique to study lions. And I should have a picture of Dominique in here. I don't know how you escaped my slideshow. Um, I don't know what that thing is, actually. Um, here's a little eye candy for you of uh, the ecosystem. That is um, a, a, a uh, what's it called? A, a, a miniature chameleon? A dwarf chameleon. Pygmy chameleon. Pygmy chameleon. And I think it's endemic to Mount Gorongosa. 
And I think the little guy rides around on top of mom. But mom is only like this big. Um, Dominique is studying elephants, by the way. Uh, sable antelope. We have one of the largest herds of sable antelope uh, in Africa. We actually have, probably have the largest collection of large crocodiles in Africa, too. Nile crocodiles. Um, that's a nice photo. <laughs> Especially for the climatologist. Uh, oh, okay. Now we're going to get to the slides that... Um, about the project that we're going to talk about today. So, Dora, is that you up there? Who's yeah, up there? That's okay, that Dora. Okay, so our own local superstars are right up there, um, and uh, this is uh, looking. F this is trying to figure out where we're going to find the fossils, and and, and Susanna will get into that. Um, that's me coming out of a somewhere, <laughs> and. Uh, um, this was last August, and this was the first kind of test to see if we had anything, and we did. Um, and I think the rest of this is, uh, some people say, yes, Greg, you met Ed Wilson, but did you meet Nelson Mandela? <laughs> and the answer is yes. <laughs> Uh, I, after I signed the contract um, with Mozambique, I went to see him, and I walked in his office, and he said, Como vai Gorongosa? How's it going in Gorongosa? And he knew all about it. So that was kind of special.